do love a good stat. Hello and welcome to Real Versus Feel Netball Numbers That Matter, a podcast with me, freelance journalist Erin Delahunty, and Dr. Aaron Fox, a lecturer in applied sports science and research methods at Deakin University. After our bonus episode that we released earlier this week, we're back to our regular programming and ready to match the real and the feel of Saturday's sensational Super Netball preliminary final. Real versus Feel is supported by All-in-One Property, a dedicated property service provider. When buying a home, you often have to juggle conveyancing, finance, insurance and property law paperwork, and it can be overwhelming. That's where All-in-One Property comes in, handling it all. Visit allinoneprop.com to learn more. I'd like to acknowledge that I'm on the lands of the Yoyota people in Echuca, and Aaron is on Wadarung land in Geelong. We pay our respects to elders past and present. Always was always will be Aboriginal land. Well, Aaron, we've kind of given ourselves a couple of days to absorb that preliminary final because it was just something else. I mean, I think we thought the semifinals had both been really good, but this preliminary final obviously won by the Swifts by one somehow. And that's mainly what we're going to talk about today, Aaron. How? How? Yes. Well, I mean, there's only one game to talk about. Yes. So we'll be focusing a lot on this. And there's some really interesting stuff to delve into into this match where I honestly did not see a way for the Swifts <laughs> to win. But, yeah, we're going to talk about that. Yes. And, look, as you said, given we've only got one game to dissect, let's take a team each from uh, the stats breakdown. I'm going to obviously start with the winners, the Swifts. They won 65 to 64. So the whole – I mean, look, there's so many things to focus on. But for me, the whole Swift side only had three intercepts for the game, for the game, and just six gains – the lack of ball sort of jumped out to me statistically. The Swifts also didn't have a player above 64 net points, which we know as listeners to this pod know it is a flawed measure, but 64 was your highest Swift. Of course, that was Helen Housby, the MVP. Housby actually missed six super shot attempts as well, which has been much talked about. But I think less so is uh, the fact that she didn't miss any of those singles, those ones. So Housby also had the most center pass receives for the Swifts. But I think that's obviously because the coach Brian Yackel used a couple of wing attacks throughout throughout the game. Now, Sophie Fawns, teenage sensation. I think it's all been said already this week about her. She was the absolute star of the show. She shot seven from 11 super shots, a real turnaround from that earlier finals performance where she was kind of thrown to the wolves a bit. It felt like at the end of that, uh, that, that um, semi and she only, she missed two um, from memory. Now, Fever, the losing team, got to keep reminding myself, tell me about, tell me about Fever, Aaron. Yeah, well, the losing team, statistically, pretty good. Uh, had <laughs> so good. S- 17 gains, which is an enormous amount mm-hmm. for a match. Um, they had 134.5 more net points than the Swifts. I mean, we've talked about this a little bit on the show, that it rarely happens in, in uh, losing teams to have more net points. That 134.5 more than the Swifts. Yeah, we, we, you and I have kind of gone backwards and forwards about this this week. I mean, it's is it the biggest differential 
in net points for a losing team? Is that a stupid, obvious question? Yeah, I mean, it is. <laughs> yeah, it is, um, obviously. Because <laughs> I, I was surprised. Like, I, I was I was thinking that this was going to be the biggest differential by a long way. Mm-hmm. Uh, there were some other examples, like uh, the Vixens managed to win a match with um, 80 more net points mm-hmm. than their opponent. But I've already messaged you about this because I didn't think you would believe me if I brought it up in the show uh, recording that there is there's one other match where a team got exactly 134.5 more net points than their opposition, the exact same that we saw on the weekend. Uh, the final score in this particular game I'm talking yep. about was 64 to 63, which was extremely similar to the... 65 to 64 we saw on the weekend with the Swiss versus the Fever. We need some Twilight Zone music here, yep. Yeah, it'd be nice to have that. It was in round 14 in 2020. If you're getting deja vu as a Fever fan, it's because it happened to the Fever back then when they played the Thunderbirds. Uh, And extremely similar pattern here where the Fever outscored the Thunderbirds in this match 61 to 46 from standard goals, uh, but the Thunderbirds outshot the Fever from super shot range nine to one uh and so like i i thought i'd stuff something up when yes I was looking at this you've data copied and pasted into the wrong column or something <laughs> like super eerie that yeah. the fever have had this exact same net point differential and mm-hmm. like there, there seems to be a pattern with how this can occur in a game mm-hmm. i think um but anyway moving on to the the other statistics for yep. the fever yep. um you know Janelle Fowler did her job she shot sure 54 of 56 mm-hmm. um pretty solid and <laughs> I, I guess the standout player for the the fever was Courtney Bruce with 12 games three intercepts and six deflections like pretty pretty good game from her I think uh yeah expletively good I would say I mean she had 105.5 net points 105.5. Let's remember she's a goalkeeper. So I have to know from this, was that her best game this year? It felt like it to me. And B, was it, I and mean, this is probably an obvious too, was it her best game this year when they lost? Which is Yeah, I mean, to, to pick up on similar games she's had this year, she had 119 net points in round 10 with 12 games, six intercepts and four deflections. And 118 net points in round 13 with nine games, nine deflections, and three intercepts. The big difference here, and it, it is a very big difference, mm-hmm. the Fever won these games incredibly comfortably, yeah. probably off the back of all of these turnovers. They beat the Giants by 11 in round 10 and the Firebirds by 34 in round 13. So you you, know, you see Courtney Bruce with 12 games and 100-plus net points, and you're like, all right, the Fever have, uh, have won. Mm-hmm. because they normally would, but they didn't on the weekend. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'd say this final was, you know, one of her top three games for the year, but as you pointed out, they lost. Um, wonder, so definitely her best game in a loss. I wonder if, and I mean, you just mentioned then it was um, Giants, I think, in round 13 and um, mm, Firebirds, round Firebirds in, t- in round 10, but those two teams aren't the Swifts and it wasn't a preliminary mm. final. So the weighting for me, the feel rating that for me, 
have how valuable those points are in that game, in that moment, right? Another thing that net points doesn't measure, which is the importance of the moment. We talked about that SWAT for the ages last, you know, last week, for example, but my goodness, that must sting because as a coach and as a fan, you, you look at your captain and you think we need the best game you can possibly give us. We want you to win the ball. We want you to send it down. It's exactly what she did all game mm. for them. And then, of course, wasn't named the MVP, which was a bit of a shock to some people. But anyway, so staying with the fever and as, as we've talked about how they managed to win, we've got our first subject today, which thanks to you, we're calling Unreal versus Feel. Back in round 13, when the Melbourne Vixens inexplicably lost to the Giants, despite dominating lots of the key metrics, I asked you to sort of explain to me like I was a three-year-old, how did they lose, statistically speaking? speaking. And given the fever led just, I mean, just a quick rundown at the end of the game and, and since, they led just about every single statistical measure in this preliminary final. How, oh, how... Did they lose? And I have to say, I have a feeling the answer is going to have a lot to do with a word that starts with S. Two words. Both start with S. Let's let <laughs> let's not jump to conclusions. Okay, here, right? sure. Um, right, maybe like we could we could unravel this a little bit more. And yep. you know, you're, you're the netball expert here, mm-hmm. and take me through those key statistics you uh, think matter in winning a netball game, and and we'll look at you know, who came out on top with those and, you know, because there might be something you've missed. You know, sure. There might be a, of course. a key thing you've missed. So, of course. So what, what what are you thinking? The first one, obviously, with the caveat of super shots, shots taken. That matters mm, yeah. to win a game in it ball, Aaron, generally. <clears throat> yeah, well, okay, so the fever led that 68 to 67. Uh, what about overall shooting percentage accuracy matters? Yeah, that's a good point. So the, the Swift shot at 82%, mm-hmm. lower than the Fever at 91%. Mm-hmm. We've just touched on this, the net points. Yeah, yeah. Flawed, flawed metric. The Fever led that by 134.5, as we said, but okay. you know, it's obviously flawed. Okay, so individuals within that, how about players over 100 net points, which is a nice sort of metric, you know, that you can have across most of the positions. The more players you have playing well, achieving more net points, the better you play. Well, I mean, the Fever had two and the Swiss had zero, but individuals <laughs> don't win team sports, right, Aaron? Don't. So, of course they don't. Yeah. What about more of a spread? So maybe players over 65 net points. Yeah, well, the Swiss, as you said, didn't have any and the Fever <laughs> had four, but individual performances again. Of course. Another one we've briefly touched on already, gains. That's what it's all about for a lot of teams, winning that ball. Yeah, I mean, the Swifts had six, so they were able to, you know, turn the ball over from the Fever a little bit. Yep. And the, the Fever had 17, so. Mm-hmm. Another one? Yeah. Intercepts. Mm. We know what wins yeah. championships. It's defence, right? Yeah, yeah, defence. Set seven to three in the Fever's favour. <laughs> what about possession changes? The ability to look after the ball when you have it. Yeah, so you want less of these, right? Of course. And the, the Fever had 17, which mm-hmm. is pushing up a, a little bit. The Swiss admittedly did have one more of 18. <laughs> of course they did. a pass to goal. We talk about this all the time, a really basic uh, KPI for every team, given that we have that rotating centre in netball. This is measured as a percentage. Uh, presumably the Swifts won this. Well, yeah, I mean, the Swiss did really well with this at 73%, which mm-hmm. is which is quite up there when we, we normally look at this. The Fever admittedly had 82%, so higher. 
gain to goal rate, very similar, but where you win the ball, it's not actually worth anything unless it goes down the other end and goes in. So again, this is another metric measured in percentage. Yeah, the Swiss didn't do that great with this, 50%. Um, so from their six gains, they they scored three. Um, the, the Fever did okay at 65%. It's not the best. They could have done better, but admittedly it was higher than the Swiss. <laughs> Missed shot conversion. So this is something that we've talked about in the last couple of weeks where obviously your team has missed. You don't want that ball to kind of bounce out of your circle and go down the other end. So, again, a percentage figure here. Swifts, fever? Yeah, no, no one did that well on this. Yes, um, true. 17% for the Swifts. Uh, but, again, the fever were better at 33%. <laughs> Time in possession is pretty self-explanatory. The longer you've got the ball, obviously, you've got more chance to dominate the game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Typically, your winning team has greater possession. Uh, the Swifts had 48% of that and the fever had 52%. <laughs> Who had the biggest lead? I know narrative-wise when you're sitting there, when a team gets to a certain point, you know, certain number of goals ahead, you think, okay, they've got this game in the bag. Who had the biggest lead in this match? Mm. Yeah, well, the Fever were up by seven <laughs> in the third quarter. So, yeah. and, and another one similar to that is when teams go on runs, uh, you know, consecutive goals. Obviously, when they're turning over the ball, they get a centre pass, they win a centre pass. That's probably something that Swifts might have won here, Aaron. No, 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 no. You're missing the pattern of this game, Aaron. Okay, sorry, had a, I should a, know. a run of five in the first quarter. And, I mean, we've already had one of these, but what about the the bad stats that, you know, uh, things like penalties, total number of penalties when you're out of play? Mm, yeah, yeah. Um... The the Swiss had seventy eight, which is which is quite high, not great. Mm. Um, and the Fever only had fifty, so that's and a lot with, better within that contacts. Yeah, yeah, 60, 63, a large amount of contacts to the Swiss, only thirty six to the Fever. So that's double. The Fever did really well in that aspect of the game. Obstructions. Yeah. Oh, they were close actually. The Swiss <laughs> had fifteen, um, but the Fever did only have fourteen. Surely this. Swifts were better at something. Mm, you are correct. Um, <laughs> general play turnovers. The yes. Fever had sure. thirteen, and the Swifts had twelve. And you know it is a, it is a game of inches, Aaron. So very well, small things it, matter. This game certainly was a game of inches, and that leads us into our next subject, which I think you probably know what it is, and I'm calling it "Does anything else matter." I don't think I need to explain to our listeners what I think of the Super Shot. I'm not the biggest fan for those that are wondering. But in the final series more than ever, it feels like the Super Shot is one of the only things that matters. We were talking about this after the preliminary and you told me that you could run some numbers on how predictive the number of successful super shots is to a winning team. And I think I jokingly said to you, right, that surely in more than 90% of games, the team that sinks the most super shots wins. But I'm pretty sure I'm showing some recency bias there, right, because of all the close finals matches that we've had and even at the weekend where it definitely felt almost from the first moment that this game was going to be decided by super shots. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I noticed that that was a, a key statistic you left out of our rundown uh, <laughs> from the match there because, you know, it was, it was something the Swiss led, but I can, sure I can understand that. Sure did. Um, 
I think I want to step through this pretty slowly to avoid an, an Aaron <laughs> meltdown, right? Because it's coming. Um, we can start with the general question of what proportion of matches are won when the team scores more super shots than their opponent. That mm-hmm. You're suggesting this is happening 90% of the time. Yeah, it feels like that. It, yeah. It's actually uh, only about thirty-one percent of matches are won by the team that makes more super shots, and sixty percent of those matches, sixty percent of matches are actually won by the team that shoots less super shots. And that remaining nine percent is obviously uh, when the team shoot the the same amount of super shots. Mm-hmm. So we're off to a good start here. So it's about a third less than what you were expecting with your feel. Only about 31%. I think maybe matches. we could run that again for the final series and see what we come up with after yeah, for next that, week. But, I mean, <laughs> that's a small sample size, Aaron. Very small. So what about matches where a team shoots more super shots but less standards or, or ones, whatever we want to call them, than their opponent? Um, how many times have we seen this happen in wins, obviously? Yeah, so there's 33 out of 235 games where a team has won and not led in the number of standard shots made. So they've shot less standard shots and they've won 33 games. And in each of those 33 wins, the winning team has shot more super shots. And this is just simple maths, right? Because you can't win being outscored by those standard goals without scoring more super shots. Of course. Um, So... This phenomenon has happened in about 14% of games since 2020, right? And so I guess I'll let you and the listeners decide whether that is too high of a percentage. Mm. Mm. But um, something interesting to note is that there is probably, as you've alluded to, Mm -hmm. some recency bias here because there's been some particularly prominent examples across this season um, on this because, you know, the, the Swiss won on the weekend with negative 15 standard shots but plus eight super shots a really big differential mm-hmm. um the swifts also beat the fever in round nine going negative 13 standard shots but plus seven super shots and then there's been a couple of other examples this year with the giants beating the magpies mm. in round nine they only shot one less standard shot but went plus seven super shots and that led to a 13 goal win yeah. And then the Giants also beat the Vixens in round nine off the back of uh, 11 less standard shots, but plus seven super shots. So these differentials that I'm talking about with respect to standard and super shots um, by the winning team are some of the biggest differentials we've seen since the 2020 season. You know, mm. four of the five highest in this category come from this year. So this could be a bit of a blip in this season. Or is it change? It could be the start of a new phenomenon now that teams have figured out the super shot. And I don't know how you feel about that, Erin. I, I, I think it's, it'd be, it's going to be really interesting to track over time, I think, because there is definitely a growing sense that it's always been tactically important. Um, but this season in particular and this final series in particular, it's absolutely, it's always been key, but it's almost probably number one on the whiteboard, I would imagine, in most change rooms at the moment well, let's see what happens on the weekend let's <laughs> you know it's going to be decided by a super shot right 
You uh, know that. Looking forward to it. Yeah. <laughs> now, our next subject today is the winning equation. In last week's Shot in the Dark, you really pushed the boat out and gave us the equation for each side to win. So we thought we'd take a really proper look at how you went um, here in the main part of the show. Now, you you sort of laid out what you thought you know, had to happen for the Swifts to win. So you looked at centre pass to goal rate, Helen Housby net point achievements uh, and turnovers. And then for Fever, you looked at Housby's number of feeds, what Fowler had to do. And also you suggested that the Fever needed 10 gains coupled with a gain to goal percentage of more than 70%. So I'd love to... I mean, I I kept a really close eye over, on it over the weekend because I really did genuinely think this was a really good way to track what was was happening. So, I do know um, what happened in the end, but I'd really like you to step me through it. And I'm not being I'm not being unkind. I'm not being cheeky. Yeah, well, I, I really don't know how to review this, and and you realise that after we we step through these Mm -hmm. um so like i said you know the swiss equation for winning they needed to do all of these three things to win the match Mm -hmm. um they didn't keep the fevers center pass to goal rate under 75 percent because it was 82 Mm percent helen housby didn't get over 90 net points she only got 64 Mm -hmm. and they didn't get less than 15 turnovers because they had 12 general play plus six missed goal turnovers leading to 18 total Mm -hmm. so didn't do any of that and then we go over to the Fever's equation for winning. They needed to do all these three things. They needed to keep Housby to less than 15 fees. She had 24, so they mm-hmm. didn't do this. I, I was kind of generous. I probably would have gone back and said Fowler needed to score over 60 for them to win. I did say over 70, okay. but she did only have 55. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they needed, you know, plus 10 gains. They did that. They got 17, but they didn't achieve that high gain to goal rate of uh, I can't remember what I said, 70%. They only got Mm -hmm. 65%. So neither team met any of those criteria of what I suggested to win. So, Mm -hmm. I I mean, I I don't know. So maybe it should have been a draw. Maybe that was, was (laughs) do you know what? You'd have been a genius if it had have been a draw. I mean, we would have had extra time. Obviously, we would have got a result. But I, I thought it was really interesting, like, as I said, to sort of track along to see which of those happened. But the fact that that is the outcome of your prediction, I think, speaks very much to the Twilight Zone-esque-ness of this result, effectively. Yes. That's what I mean, it does. I mean, it matches I'll the real. And the, compliment. It matches the real versus feel, don't you think, Aaron? Hmm. Brilliant. Good link. <laughs> <laughs> Looking to buy a property in the near future and overwhelmed with all the paperwork you just know is coming your way? Well, with All-in-One Property, you can forget the stress and lose the hassle. That's because All-in-One Property is a dedicated property service provider, helping buyers with all their conveyancing, finance, insurance, and even property law issues that come along with buying a property, whether it's your first or fifth property. Let someone else handle the tricky stuff. With All-in-One Property, you'll have one point of contact instead of a heap of strangers asking you for information, someone who knows and understands your purchase. Visit allinoneprop.com or call 03-99-824-91 to discover how you can benefit from the streamlined property transfer process. Now, usually at this time, Aaron, we have Fox Answers the Fans, but we have just had a whole show full of those. And you've also pulled rank on me today and hijacked this session. So it's over to you. 
Yeah, I mean, like you said, we had a whole show of answering fan questions and so I've put my foot down, I've <laughs> had enough this week and decided to pose my own question with the grand final coming up this weekend and kind of wanted to know what is the best individual performance statistically in a grand final. Yes, so love it. What I've actually done here to kind of guide the process was develop a little bit of a model to predict and net points and overall performance um, from from seasons where this metric wasn't in place and kind of give a rough, it gave a rough estimate of where some historical performance stacked up against more modern performances. And I guess in answering this question, I wanted to try and identify some big performances across the attacking mid-court and mm-hmm. defensive positions and, so, and sort of break down that way. So you're defining you're, you're defining the the big game feel that we sort of talk about big player, big game feel. Pretty much. Like who has individually done this? And it probably, Mm -hmm. I actually don't know how many of these link to the MVPs of the grand final, but before we dive in, let's get with the feel first here. Mm -hmm. And like, what are your memories of big grand final performances? Well, if we think just in recent memory, um, Sarah Clough in the 2019 grand final immediately springs to mind. Sitting courtside, it had to have been the first entry into the goal third and she sort of come she came flying out to have a look at a ball I think on a a wing attack or something like that and she sort of ran towards the the media bench and she just had this look on her face and I remember sending a text to a friend saying oh Sarah Clow is just on one today and she absolutely you know she absolutely tore it up in that game I think a couple of weeks ago maybe only one or two episodes ago we talked about her missing out on an MVP you know was this was it Sarah Clow was that the game we were that we were talking Mm -hmm. about that yeah against the Sunshine Coast Lightning Sam Wallace won the MVP that day also was absolutely outstanding. Um, another, like, I guess I, I do have a lot of recency bias. Maybe I just don't have a very good memory. Um, probably 2017, the first Sunshine Coast Lightning grand final. Um, I mean, you had Jeeva Mentor. She was sort of at the peak of her powers. But I think Carla Pratol, Carla Mostert, she was at the time, um, that's probably aside from the world cup um, semi-final that she played against Australia, probably the best game that I've seen her play. She was actually on heart. And so big sort of mismatch there. They're the two, the two that jump out, but there's a lot sort of from Commonwealth bank days and, and further back as well. So, mm, and both, no, both defenders just by total. Coincidence. Yes. No, no defensive bias in that answer at all. Let, let's start down that defensive end then. Um, I, I have Sarah Clow's performance in 2019 grand final as probably one of the best, yep. you know, it's one of the highest net points in a grand final. She had 10 gains with five uh, intercepts, four deflections and only 17 then. penalties. Yep. Uh, so that that's probably my top defensive one. There's there are some going uh, a fair way back that could be comparable in the early ANZ championship days. You yeah. had by defenders. You had uh, Casey Kopua, mm-hmm. uh ten gains in the Magic's 2010 grand final loss, mm-hmm. and Leonard Bruin had ten gains as well in the Magic's 2012 grand final win. So some big defensive performances yeah. early on in those competitions. Um, we can talk about the other positional groupings. They do exist, Aaron, um, just for <laughs> reference. If we shift up to the mid-court, probably have to look to Liz Watson's 2020 grand final where she yeah. had 32 centre pass receives, 
57 feeds with 42 of those coming with an attempt and 38 goal assists. Based on those numbers, she was probably holding up that attacking mid-court end. The only downside to this game was perhaps the six turnovers that she had mm. really put a dent in you know, the overall performance. Yeah, I think Kamwenda won the MVP in that match too because she's just shot so beautifully, particularly in the in those close moments. Yep. Mm. Uh, and another mid-court mention is also from the 2019 Swiss grand final win. Perhaps another person unlucky to miss out on the MVP was <laughs> Nat Haythornthwaite. She had 14 centre pass receives, 40 feeds, resulting in 21 goal assists and two gains from a defensive perspective. She also had five turnovers in that game, which dampened it a little bit. Mm. Um, but there's some pretty big mid-court performances in grand finals. And then lastly, on the attacking end, uh, it's hard to go past Janelle Fowler's efforts in last year's grand final. Um, you know, she had 58 of 59 shooting with only two turnovers, but arguably I think I thought her key mm-hmm. role in that game was almost like a decoy. She shot 58 goals yeah. and I felt like she was a decoy <laughs> for, Sa- for Sasha Glasgow to have a good game, right? Like that's yes. my memory of that one. Yep. Um, but perhaps a more uh, all-round attacking effort came from Tegan Filt in the Vixens 2014 premiership. She had... 30 of 33 goals, but she also had 16 centre pass receives, four goal assists and three gains from mm. an attacking player is really good mm. and only two turnovers. So that's uh, that felt like a pretty good all-around statistical performance from a shooter. Yeah, absolutely. And she, you sort of forget about Tegan, that, that era where she was there with Thwaites and then with other shooters as well. She was so smart the way that she was able to move, very sort of Steph Wood-like in the way that she played the game. Mm. Now, Erin, um, Della Bluntley has been MIA for a it couple has. of weeks. It has. And, I mean, there's been not so much netball controversy. We've been focusing on the netball. So I feel that this might be a real positive go get him <laughs> Della Bluntley, right? There's nothing, there's no There's no major issues in netball right now, is there? I mean, look, there are a few floating around, but I don't think you'll be surprised at the topic today, Aaron. Sound the sponsored klaxon. Let the courtside pyrotechnics go. Let's all squeal. It's the super shot. I mean, I've been pretty consistent in my loathing of this five minute a quarter gimmick, which was ripped from another sport and introduced on the premise that netball was inherently broken and boring. It wasn't, by the way, if you ask the million plus players, mainly women and girls, who play it across Australia. Or ask anyone who's watched a World Cup final, a Commonwealth Games final, or pre-Super Shot Super Netball final, or ANZ Championship, or ANZ Premiership game in, the, in New Zealand, and ask them if they think the game of netball is boring and unwatchable without the Super Shot. It never was. Was there score blowouts in Super Netball pre-Super Shot? Sure. Was there less than sparkling games pre-Super Shot? Sure. Does that apply to every single sporting league everywhere in the world? Yep. Have there been blowouts with the super shot? Yep. Have there been boring games with the super shot? Sure. Has there been a marked increase in ugly circle play, air balls and misses with the super shot? You betcha. Has it seen a massive influx of all those all important casual sporting fans? Nope. From the moment it was introduced, without consulting a single stakeholder in the game, let's remember, the super shot has placed a premium on one skill above all others. The ability to shoot long, which of course has always been part of netball. Right, Joe Harton? Right, Helen Housby? Right, Steph Wood? 
It went from one skill of the game to the skill. It's the antithesis of what netball is about. A true team spirit, team sport, where everyone on the court matters, where every player can influence the result. An intercept in extra time is now worth less if it's not converted into two. A rebound in the last five minutes of a game is now worth less if it's not converted into two. A beautiful piece of triangle play means nothing when a series of clunky passes trying to trick the umpire into paying a penalty in the arc will do. As we saw in the preliminary final between the Swifts and Fever at the weekend, it's super shots, super shots, super shots that matter. I know I wasn't the only netball lover who didn't recognise that game in those closing minutes. It felt like basketball, which, sure, if you love basketball, that's great. But it wasn't the game this girl grew up with, the game that this woman loves. It was the moment Super Netball became the clown car that Melbourne Vixen defender Joe Weston predicted when she criticised the introduction of the rule back in 2020. It's what happens when you add whistles and bells upon whistles and bells. The super shot is undoubtedly here to stay, Aaron, but it doesn't mean I have to like it. Well, I mean, Lord help us if the game is decided by a super shot this weekend. Um, I I'm going to be I'm going to be watching intently and and have the the message ready to go. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me how you really feel, right? Yeah. <laughs> now moving on. Now, even though as we've touched on, it didn't exactly work. I really loved your winning equation shot in the dark for the preliminary final. So I'm hoping that you can give us another one, please, but for the grand final, of course. Yeah, so we can look at each of the teams again, what I would expect for a guaranteed win. And for the Thunderbirds, we can start with them. They simply need to be the good Thunderbirds <laughs> and not the bad Thunderbirds. Be, be them better, their better selves. <laughs> Yeah, so yeah. in their matchup with the Swifts that they won in round 14, they were, it was almost like a, they were a mix of the good and the bad. They had mm -hmm. 20 games, mm -hmm. but they only converted to goal on 55% of those, and they had 24 turnovers themselves. So this is that real mix of their good and bad. So I'd say they can't lose on the weekend if they get greater or like greater than 12 gains. That's kind of a, a target, but okay. also convert greater than 70% of those to goals. They both have to happen. Yeah, you can't, yeah. they, they yeah, can't get all the games. It's 70, and, and 70 is the number. Okay. And, and less than 15 general play turnovers, which is a bit of a stretch, but if they manage to do this with those games, they can't lose. Lock it in. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and so for the Swifts to win, they essentially need to do the opposite. They need to look after the ball against a good Thunderbirds team, and they also need to score a lot, right? The Thunderbirds... They only just beat the Fever in a 64-63 matchup. But if you go back and look at all of their wins this year, the Thunderbirds, mm -hmm. that is, they come from keeping the opposition scoring down, typically less than 60, okay. sometimes less than 55. So if the Swifts can get to that 65-plus mark again, okay, which may very well come off the back of winning the Super Shot battle, let's be honest, the only way... The Thunderbirds beat the like the Thunderbirds aren't going to beat the Swifts if they score sixty five plus. It hasn't happened all year for the so, Thunderbirds. Right, just keep an eye on the scoreboard, basically. <laughs> keep an eye on the scoreboard. If they're pushing the score up, then it, it'll be tough. Okay. And if the Swifts can outgain the Thunderbirds, so look after the ball themselves and then take the ball off the Thunderbirds more. Again, that's another way that I don't think Adelaide could get over. Right. Okay. 
Mm. I haven't. I haven't. Only two things to look on this week. I haven't asked you uh, to prepare for this, but I do want a tip from you and a margin, please. I haven't trusted the Thunderbirds all year, right? So you're not going to start know, now? <laughs> I don't know how they're in the grand final. So I. They I won the preliminary year, final, Aaron. That's how they're there. Yeah, I know. <laughs> and I still don't trust them. Uh, I feel like the Swifts are going to gonna kind of bump up into that 60-ish range and win this game, you know, like low 60s to high 50s. So Swifts by like three to four, I think. Okay, okay. Yeah. My, my head is telling me something very similar to you. I think the Swifts are probably going to be too good and Bryony Akel has those players in such a good headspace to be able to win the, the, game, the way they, they did at the weekend. But my heart is with the South Australians. I think something special might happen for them. And Eleanor Cardwell is the kind of player that if there's a shot for goal after the siren to win it, she's going to want the ball in her hand heading into the to the World Cup. So given, given you're the real and I'm the feel, I'm going to say Thunderbirds by one. The real's not going to match the feel this week. We'll see. We will definitely see. Well, that's a wrap for our latest episode. Please be sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram where our handle is always RealVFeel. And next time you hear our voices, we'll know who the 2023 premiers are, which is very exciting. This podcast isn't possible without All in One Property, which offers a suite of property services under one roof, covering conveyancing, finance, insurance and property law. All in One Property streamlines the process, helping buyers access all the services they need in one place. Visit allinoneprop.com to learn more. 